Hello, this is episode five of the A Map to You Life Stories from the Living podcast. I'm Vicky Gaskin. Yes, Laura has let me present an episode. For this week's episode, hats off to you. Laura Harling, Matthew Seeger and Stuart Turner were at the Link Age Southwark Group and having a lot of fun with hats. Whilst Laura has let me present this week, she is chaperoning me and sitting right next to me. So while you're here, Laura... Tell us a bit about this week's workshop. We went down the more traditional dot collective storytelling workshop route. We went in with a box of our hats and costume items, scarves, glasses, gloves, accessories that you can easily just put on. We were focusing on characters to find a story. We put all of the hats and all of the costume on the table and everyone picked a hat or a wig. There were some brightly coloured green wigs. There were some top hats. There were all sorts. And everybody put something on. And then as a group, we went round the circle and, and said what we thought each other looked like and what character they might be. Everyone's wigs that they put on were on a slightly jaunty angle. And so there were lots of rock stars. Oh, we had a lady of, of three colours and she's French. So she was a dancer called Tricolor. So all sorts, they had all these characters and it was very relaxed. And we laughed a lot and discussed that. And then I asked everybody to write down on a piece of fabulous coloured card if their character had a name, what would their name be and what they might do? And so then everybody came up with these wacky things that were happening and, and it was all very fun. And then I said, so where do we think from the jobs that's come up, would they be if, if they were in a place or at an event? And then it materialised that we were all at a barn dance. And, Amazing. And then it sort of led on from there. And we did end the workshop having a, a good dance. It was all about finding a story. and While finding that story as a whole, we also found all of these individual and more intimate stories as well. It was a lot of fun and very bright and vibrant and silly. Amazing. Well, if you have a hat or a wig at hand, do grab it, pop it on and enjoy some of the stories that came out of this workshop. Our first piece this week is written by Matthew Seeger and is called I Always Wanted to Be a Singer. It's performed by Laura Harling and myself. I always wanted to be a singer. The country and western queen, like Dolly Parton or Tammy Wynette, maybe even the Beatles. That was my dream. I always wanted to be a singer. I got on the stage once, after a dance one night. It's always been there in my mind, and I knew. I knew I could do it. I knew I could sing. I don't want to sound big-headed, but I knew I had the voice for it. I must have been 16 or 17. I remember it so clearly. The feel of the floor, the smell of the smoke... I waited, of course, until almost everyone was gone, the voices, the laughter gradually fading out the door. And then I closed my eyes and... I never sung in front of my parents. I don't think they were even aware, really. But I always wanted to be a singer, to have that chance. And I did it, that day in the dance on that stage, with no one in the room. That's amazing that, that you did that, that you found your voice. But then everyone kept coming back in. They were going home and then they heard me and they kept coming back in to listen. So they liked you. You attracted them. That's wonderful. Isn't that a compliment? No. No? Well, yes, but no. It was terrifying. So I thought, stuff this. I stopped. It takes guts. How they stand up there in front of hundreds of people, I will never know. I do admire them, though. When you watch The X Factor and stuff, those young girls, young women getting up in front of all of those people and the panel. But you have to have the confidence to do it or convince yourself that you do. But I never thought about it that way. I suppose you don't when you're 16. Did you manage to lose yourself behind who you were portraying? Because that's what they say, isn't it? With an actor or a singer, you have to submerge yourself. 
you're no longer you. And that's why many of them might be very self-conscious in their private life, but once they're on stage, they take on that persona of who they're meant to be, and so they lose themselves and no longer feel embarrassed. Yes, but it takes more than that, I think. You also have to have nerve and be so into what you want that you don't listen to anyone else. You just say, stuff the lot of them, I'm going to sing anyway. I don't think I could have ever done that. My only experience of something similar, as a child I was about 11 or 12, and we were putting on a play and I had a part and I got up on stage and completely froze. I could do or say nothing, I just had to run off. But what's funny is when I was at school, when I was teaching, I was a teacher, I was different. I don't know why. I could take an assembly or, or wherever and it was fine. I loved it. I was happy. The children sort of took over and I was part of that setting. So I can understand how you felt, having that fear, especially when you're young. I can even feel my face going red thinking back to those years. I joined the choir and I do love it, I really do. I'm still in the choir to this day. I'm not bad, I must admit. I remember often, actually, but, but one time in particular... I was singing in the back of the church with the choir, with everybody, and one of the guys turned to me and said, You've got a really wonderful voice. And I thought to myself, I think I have lived my dream in a way. I love to sing and I'm doing it here now. I always wanted to be a singer and in some ways I was, I am. Isn't that wonderful? But I never managed to do it solo, to get up in front of people on my own and sing. Well, there's still time. You could do it here. Here. You could. We would absolutely love that. I could. There is still time, isn't there? I could do it here. I, I think I will. I'll do it. Just once. I am a singer after all. So that was I Always Wanted to Be a Singer, written by Matthew Seeger and performed by Laura and myself. I'm here with Matthew. Hello. To hello, hello. To talk a little bit about it. So yeah, tell us what inspired this beautiful piece of writing. Well, I think when I came in, everyone was already wearing hats. So I sort of walked into the room and everyone was wearing these incredible hats, people wearing wigs and glasses. And I was sitting down with this lady and she was wearing this amazing hat. And we had to write down the kind of character we were with this hat on and what they did. And she said this amazing thing. She said, how does one describe oneself? And then she sort of thought about it for a bit and she just said, I always wanted to be a singer. And then she talked wow. to, she, she talked about going on stage in this on this dance when she was young and singing and then the second people came in the room she had to stop we had this amazing conversation with another lady about what it is to be scared to perform in front of people and what it is to love performing wow so the hats provided characters but also allowed them to explore to, themselves yeah you to explore themselves and, and was a real i think gateway back into some really interesting memories that it felt like they hadn't explored in a while i think and uh, did you wear a hat in the workshop yeah, I I wore a hat at first that was too small for me and the lady next to me wore a hat that was too big for her. So we swapped and she said that I looked a bit like a beekeeper. Take it as a compliment. Yeah, yeah. Why, why not? <laughs> How was being in a workshop with the hats? Visually, it's amazing, really funny. I mean, some of these like big colourful wigs, but you've got all these characters. Some Some people were rock stars, some people were teachers. It was a really useful way into sort of creating stories, definitely. Oh, lovely. And thank you for starting us off with this lovely story. Thank you very much. Next up is A Wine Dance by Stuart Turner, read by Kate Deschen. She looks great in that colour. It really does suit her, like an emerald queen. It's the green that's just 
It's very tempting. I just love that expression on her face. He's a rock star, the star of the show. He doesn't care and he's not going to make any concessions. Oh, thank you. This scarf is so my colour. It's just flowing over my shoulders, although I wouldn't like to be an actor and have to wear it on the stage. <laughs> it's ridiculous, really, but it could be plausible. I'm just trying to think of what she would be called, thinking of that. Yes, Lady Cranbourne, and she'd have to have a funny Christian name too, like Melissa Lady Melissa Cranbourne. She's got a lot of private money. You know what she likes to do with it? Spend it. She spends her own private money. She's got plenty of cash, maybe two million. I think that would be enough. Spending her own money. One, two, three, four, five, six. That's right, isn't it? Six noughts on for two million. Well, if you've got two million, you can spend it, can't you? I wish I had two million. I'd move into a very nice house with a garden, a good garden and some house staff. I would definitely have a cook, but not all the time. I, I'm a keen cook, so I should like to cook sometimes too. You know, it's important that the staff have fun. They should get to do nice things too, and then everyone can say how lovely the house was. The staff and you get along very well. We all have wine together, white for the first course and red for the main course. It doesn't have to be expensive, but if it says Provence, I'll drink it. They produce nice wine. I buy cheap wine. I buy more cheap wine, but I always go for the better names. You know they're not going to produce rubbish wines. They've got reputations. Of course, there's red and white, but if it's lunchtime, then I'd have a rosé, but not gin. Gin makes me angry. I don't know why, it just does. Now, I have tried chilled red wine, and I thought it was a shame, because it was a very nice wine, but it didn't give you the flavour. It's a bit disappointing. If it's a hot day, and you could choose between red wine and water, you'd have the water, and then I'd have the red wine when it's gotten back to room temperature. Who said just one glass? I didn't. <laughs> Some people are very good. I think you're much better in moderation and sensibly. If you have too much, you'd be drunk and you won't appreciate the food. Is this your scarf or mine? Oh, thank you. I think this scarf is so my colour. That was A Wine Dance by Stuart Turner, read by Kate Deschen. I'm here with Stuart. Hello. Hello. Tell us what inspired you to write A Wine Dance. So the person that is the voice of this character is somebody that has been present in our workshops for, what well, Laura just reminded me, for nearly five years. Oh, wow. Um, and I hadn't seen this person in real life, person to person, for quite some time, like since pre-pandemic. And... When I saw her again, we just had this wonderful conversation. So the piece is pretty much verbatim. I just wanted to capture what she's always clung on to, which I just think is so beautiful, is this idea of dignity. I wanted to capture this piece and that theme because I think there's a lot of stigma around dementia. And one of the main things that comes up is this idea that you're losing your dignity because you've got dementia. And I don't think that's true. And I think our work really reflects that. And it's nice to work with somebody in one of our peer groups where that is 
it's a key element of them that has, has never shifted in the nearly five years that I've known that person. So that was really my inspiration. And she also is a keen wine drinker, we think? <laughs> I think she's a very keen wine drinker. And, and very strict rules on what wine should go where as well. Well, I mean, clearly, yeah. yeah. And she references quite a lot of people's costumes at the beginning. So tell us, how was it working with the hats and being in the workshop this week? It was really, really fun. What she's talking about at that moment is the group were given a variety of wigs, hats, scarves, gloves, so many things that they could put on. So the idea is that when people wear things, they can look at each other, observe, reflect on the different kind of characters that they're seeing. And obviously the way that we're trying to work, that we think that we're trying to work when we start with that process is that we're starting with them. We're adding something that then could create a character or allow them to become something else or start generating some ideas. But what was really interesting this week was how we spent time building this character with her, this Lady Melissa Cranbourne. And then from that character, we actually then started going back into her own personality. And that's oh. I, I wanted to capture that in the journey of, of, of this monologue, that we start with the character observations and the character that she'd created in that moment. But we actually travelled in conversation back to her personality, which was just so beautiful and so inspiring. That's lovely. That, yeah. yeah, brings it back round full circle. Yeah, exactly. That's it. Oh, lovely. Well, thank you very much, Stuart. Thank you, Vicky. We are extremely privileged this week to have an extra special guest, one of our VIPs from the original A Map to You plays. We first met Maria Lanzalaco and her mum Pauline in 2021 when we started our socially distant visits to families living with and caring for dementia to find out their life stories through regular meetups. They were absolute stars, shared so many a wonderful life story and worked alongside Laura and playwright Nicole Lachana to create their play Brushstrokes. Brushstrokes was the first play performed at the A Map to You experience and followed the story of Pauline and her daughter Maria, performed by Ilona Linthwaite and Joe Wickham. And this week, Laura caught up with Maria. Let's have a listen. What made you want to get involved in the project? Well, I thought it was a great opportunity for my mum, really. Gosh, in the end, I found out things that I didn't even know. I was fascinated by that and I was so pleased that I got to meet you. And in fact, if you remember the first time she said, I don't know what I'm going to say. Oh, yeah. What do they want? To, they want to talk to me. What oh, yeah. do they want to talk to me about? I think so we, as well. I don't think I yeah, have I've got anything to say. And <laughs> we could shut her up. Yeah. <laughs> and tell me about Time and Talents. Time and Talents have been going for 100 and odd years and are based in Rotherhithe. Mum goes there Mondays and Tuesdays for social group and mum absolutely loves it. And funnily enough, that is something that I don't know whether she will ever forget it because she always remembers, yeah, oh yeah, that's it, next Monday and Tuesday. Oh, I've got to wait till next Monday now. That's probably something to do with the emotional impact. Absolutely. In what ways do you think it's beneficial? She's very happy when she's having a chit chat. She's very Mm. friendly. When she's not there, that's when I notice how important it is. Mm. You know, she got into a very big depression obviously as part of her illness but again it was because she hasn't really got friends so the social groups are so the social groups are 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 fundamental because she doesn't see anybody apart from family of course and what's the experience like for you working with us on the project and also being part of the social groups? Well, working with you was fantastic. It was very interesting because I've never heard of anything being done like this before. It was great, especially when we met the writer as well. That was amazing. And I was really 
taken aback by some of the things that she did talk about because mm. I had no idea of certain things, you know, about the rabbits and the rabbit story <laughs> <laughs> and, and just other things that she mentioned about her life in Sicily that I yeah. didn't know. I've been given this rabbit, a whole rabbit, fur and all, and I was going to cook it up for my husband's tea, so I put it in the fridge and got on with my day. And when I went to get it out later... It had moved. It was alive in the fridge, the poor thing. I ran across the road to Signora Zara, crying for help. Signora Zara, Signora Zara, il coniglio, il coniglio. She dropped what she was doing immediately, and with as much haste as her body could muster up, she was only a little old dot. She hobbled along behind me, across the street and into the kitchen, and as she opened the fridge door, she laughed at what she saw. I'd never seen anything done with such swiftness as she'd done that. With a quick twist, the rabbit's soul left its body. Father. Done. She couldn't have a thing suffering, that Signora Zara. Yeah. So it was really interesting to see and watch my mum in a... A non-mum way. I was just like a spectator to her mm. story and it was like, wow, I did not know that. But would you say that learning them now, I guess, it, it brings you closer yes, to you? Yes, definitely. Her. It made me understand a lot more. I mean, I did know about, you know, the jazz clubs. I knew mm. she was a beatnik and I knew that she'd... Bossed Rod Stewart about. Yeah, boss Rod Stewart about. <laughs> and, <laughs> and obviously Long John Baldwin. I think actually yeah. through, through you, yeah. we got to know quite a lot yeah. about that. It's a funny little thing, laughing it. I mean, one minute you're a seventeen-year-old girl having a blast in the sixties without a care in the world, even hanging out with Rod Stewart in London music clubs before he was famous. She was animated, wasn't she? Yeah, that yeah, was really lovely the... to see. And that's where I see the real difference because it did. It brought her alive, and I saw her in a way that I've never seen her before. I know that you also are a avid writer oh gosh I wouldn't say that <laughs> I do write yeah I do write poems yeah yeah do you have poems that you would let us get an actor to read on the podcast yeah I've got some that I would probably wouldn't mind sharing yeah apart from time and talents and the work you did with us tell me a bit about the other services in Southwark that support you and also what is lacking and where there needs to be further support how much time you got <laughs> <laughs> I'll be here all day does, if I answer so that question. So Pauline lives in sheltered... She lives in sheltered accommodation, yeah. which means, as far as I'm understanding, that there is a warden there. That seems to be it. And and the warden is, is a lovely man, but there isn't anything else that he does. And that's not a reflection of him. That's just how Southwark are, apparently. Right. So I feel that it's very much up to the residents of these sheltered accommodations to organise themselves. From the positives, I can say, yes, time and talents she wouldn't want to live without. Mm. The other support, I mean, I did initially have a lot of contact with Alzheimer's UK, mm. who actually did the referral for her mm. to be assessed. So I'm eternally grateful, obviously, for their input. And Grant Mallin, who is the dementia nurse specialist, I think the greatest support has been from him, really, because ever since I saw a marked progression in the disease, I then became, OK, right now, what do I have to do? And I would phone Grant. But really, I think there is quite a lot lacking in Southwark regarding that. I mean, we had to wait ages for a befriender. 
it's very apparent that the social stimulation and going to time and talents, being involved with the theatre stuff, the storytelling, going yeah. out, doing all these lovely things are wonderful and give her positive emotional and, and positive experiences all round. But that's for a moment only. What that's happens right. when she goes home? And, and ha- where is the support? Unfortunately, the support is, is just from me, really. Yeah. I'd dread to think what what would be happening if I was working, to be honest. I think I would have actually had to stop anyway Mm. because she just sits there and and watches the telly. The telly was her life. Mm. I I know that's part of her dementia. And the depression, I guess, of being lonely and isolated. There really needs to be more initiatives to there allow seems people to, be a to get lack out of, of their house yes. or to do activities within their home. Yeah. If there is something that she could uh, access, she can't get there. So even short journeys now are extremely costly. And it's also about the fact that we need mum to get to the taxi. Yeah, there's limited access, yeah. I think, overall for older people who are not wealthy. <laughs> well, that is a big issue there's a big yeah. divide <laughs> but it's the fact about how they view dementia in itself isn't it yeah like if we've got cancer we could get free treatment but because we've got this other illness called dementia we can't yeah. i think it's a big part of what we've been chatting about on this yeah. podcast is actually all of the things that we're talking about are part of the medicine for dementia yeah. because the medicine yeah, is, absolutely the medicine is having the cognitive stimulation it's having mm. the social stimulation it's getting out and about it's exercising the brain like any other muscle throughout this journey that i've been on with mum it really seemed strange to me that everyone was available to help with my mental health but mm. how has she been supported to help with this tremendous mm diagnosis that when she was told she had Alzheimer's was like a death sentence. I think there is a real problem in, in society of just putting somebody to side because they're old. Yeah, um, although they've we- contributed all their <laughs> lives and worked all their lives. Tell me about the diagnosis. So initially I was joining the Alzheimer's carers group but one thing that I did notice was that even within the borough, there were many different people that got diagnosed in different ways. And I used to think, wow, when we met the professor from the Imperial College, I did ask him, are we supposed to have a scan then of the brain? Because mm. I kept hearing about people being diagnosed because they'd been to a consultant in a hospital and had a scan. So I thought, well, hang on a minute. Why didn't my mum have that? I had taken her to the doctors because I had noticed that she was forgetting words. So I went to see the doctor and the doctor said, OK, I'll give you a memory test. She did the memory test and then we were sent to a memory clinic. She did a test. It's all paper based. And yes, there might have been a couple of sums. What year is it? And that was sort of it. And obviously like a sentence or three things that she had to remember. So I was just sitting there thinking, okay, I wonder what happens now. And then she came round mum's flat and they said, okay, I've got the results. And uh, yeah, you've got Alzheimer's. I could have dropped dead on the floor. Just a bit like that. Yeah, it makes me, it pricks tears in my eyes because my mum's face and I just wanted to cry. That was brutal in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. One thing we hear often is how people with dementia need to have a good, healthy diet diet, and be stimulated nutritionally as well. But there are struggles with that. Especially because we know that there is something that is going on in the brain regarding food. I happened to look at her email one day and noticed that from Ricardo, all she was getting was cakes and biscuits. And I was horrified and I'd spoken to her and said, when was the last time you had a hot meal? Oh, I don't know, about three weeks ago. And I'll never forget that because that's when I then got involved. For people that maybe haven't got me, what are your options? Because it seems to me in the whole two years that she's had carers, 
The first thing they say when they walk through the door is we don't cook. So that for me is one of the biggest fights that I have had in the last two years was getting people to cook because they all seem to want a ready meal that they can just put in the microwave and go ping. We all know it's full of fats, full of sugar. And preservatives. And preservatives, which are... good for the brain. That's right. And obviously we've got to think of the brain. I'm not talking about cooking a roast dinner. Obviously we know that's Mm. out of the question. Clearly one of the things that happens with dementia is that they seem to go off things. So I'm always trying to whet her appetite because I noticed that I took her out one day and I said, oh, what would you like? Oh, I don't know. She couldn't ever tell me. And I thought, that's interesting. But if you're presented presented with something that looks really appetising, oh, yeah, I love that. So there seems to be another gap here in the care system of that also there isn't fresh food available to support There isn't. And my fear is that all these lovely people that are living with dementia and perhaps haven't got someone like me... Mm. And they're obviously from a generation that didn't challenge doctors and anyone they perceived with superior knowledge. They're not going to say anything. It's almost like there needs to be a a volunteer system or initiative. She's very easy to please. (laughs) Right. She just needs a good plate of food. (laughs) I think if anyone listening to this podcast is a good cook that wants a dinner party around at Pauline's, contact Maria. Well, I, I think, think it's, it's true, so though, important, you know, isn't I will it? come round. I yeah, would love course, to come round and cook dinner Thank for Pauline you. one night. And I think there yeah, just needs to be initiatives like this. But more than that, it's unhealthy, obviously. At a time when they really do need good nourishing food. I want to make a difference. Mm. And I do feel when I started on this journey with mum, the food in particular, that for me was something that I thought was appalling because it's such a fundamental thing and what they are going there three times a day to do. Mm. I want people to hear me saying about this. This obviously is a definite need for change. Yeah, and the improvements to all of the things that we've discussed so far. I mean, everyone who's listening to this, I would hope, want to make a difference too in in some small way. What small contribution could they make that can help make a difference? I mean, it's about time as well, isn't it? Mm. And not everyone has time. If there were people with time the social aspect for example you know they could walk her to yeah to, to the audit or something I think look out for those people yeah. and see how you can offer the support whether it's an access whether it's driving somebody to a group yeah. once a week whether it's going cooking a meal once a week it's about using our independent skills Definitely. I think to support dementia and I mean, to motivate others encourage yeah. others make them aware of what's going on you know people probably don't spread this about... information that you talked about absolutely and that's what I love to do <laughs> it is about awareness it's always great talking to you it's always lovely to see Pauline oh, so I would definitely you. come around and cook her yeah steak. she remembers you and that's really incredible <laughs> so again the impact of that positive experience for her what was your favorite moment the funniest thing was when we came to see the show and just everyone's reaction is, well, I shouldn't have married an arsehole. He was an arsehole. <laughs> I think we should listen to a couple of clips. <laughs> but hearing an actor say it with all these people that were spectating and watching it, it was hilarious. And your mum was commenting, yeah. wasn't she? I said, that's me, she's talking about me. That is, oh my God. I don't have much to say, really, apart from don't marry arseholes. Hey, did I say you were an arsehole? No. But are you? Well, why don't you marry me and find out? That was the funniest, yeah. Think, yeah. What an amazing experience. Thank you for being a part of it and oh, uh, look forward to hearing your poem. Thank you very much, Maria. Thank you, Laura. 
Thank you so much, Maria, for sharing your experiences with us and how we can all make a difference. Do get in touch if you are making a difference and filling the gaps so that we can share and celebrate you on the podcast. Back to our stories inspired by wearing hats. This is Itching for Another Hat, written by Laura Harling and performed by Laura and Kate Deschen. What do you think of my hat? Not sure. I love yours. You look a bit mad. No, hold on. You look like someone from a book. Who is it? Um, Harry Potter. Who? Uh, do you know him? He's... Um... No, not that. Going back to one of those... Before you were even born. Before I was born. Not sure. It sort of suits you. You look like an ancient lady. Or a depressed Russian. You've a good strong nose. I thought I was a bit more... Roof down, wind in your hair. You could be Princess Anne knitted together. A knitted sort of person. Very well held together. Perfectly woven in human form. Thanks. Green goes very well with your dark hair. I know. I'm an Emerald Queen. We could be Princess Anne and the Emerald Queen. Could be. I'd rather be the star of the show. I don't tell you what I've been up to with my extra long gloves. You're like a nonchalant rock star. And I don't make any concessions. It's very itchy, this hat. I'm a royal artist. I could be a rock star. Film star. Spaced out from the space odyssey. Very itchy for some reason. I don't know how I feel. I can't see myself. Hold on. Smile. I don't think I smile. I've taken a picture of you so you can see what you look like. I'm like an exotic French dancer. Ooh. Not that kind of exotic. Oh? This kind of exotic. Exotic colours. Tricolore. I'm French. South of France. The heat. The wine. This shouldn't be lopsided. A tilt is a trend, I think. You should know. It's a bit hot. If you had short hair, you'd buy a wig with long hair. Did you have long hair when you were younger? When I was younger... Sorry, in the past. Longish. I'm very young now, I'll have you know. Oh, look. There's the Artful Dodger over there. I like it. I like it. About to sell all your things on eBay. Keep hold of your pocket watch. <laughs> I've worn this before. Does it feel good? Do you like it? I don't know what the hell I look like and I don't care. You look like a character from Coronation Street. Mm. I'll need a warm hat for that and a pint in the pub. What's it called? A pub. Remember Timmy Mallet? Oh, yes. I'm Timmy. I like her one. Yes, it's nice. I think it would look nice on top of this hat. I'll get it for you. Sure she won't mind. Then I'd be just like the Queen Mother. A hat with a crown and a little exotic with a tipple when in the south of France with a mallet for protection. She was always just so. Somehow. I didn't really like her. I never met her. I'm one of many sisters. We're all belly dancers. That's cool. My sister Rose dances in the Nutcracker. Any idea who I could be? Someone small. Small? Small. And young. I'd call you Ludmilla. Do I have any hobbies? Yes, you like the lads. Oh. I feel rather like... I'd be a refuse collector in my spare time. Alf Smith. 
South Yorkshire, born and bred. You're busy. I should think I can do many things. I could have a lot of money, grow grapes for wine, play the guitar, travel across the world in a rowboat. I could be a country and western queen, a singer, a hat maker, a party host, somebody who's very good at making toast. I'm an academy head, a baker, or someone who likes eating a lot of bread. I could be a backing dancer, a hiker of mountains, someone who wears a lot of colours, pom-pom Polly with an itch. I'm a pop artist, Lady Cool. Very good at sitting back, relaxing with the right attitude and being very cool. My favourite colour is orange. I'm the model for Orangina, or a cute little brunette. A peasant lady, or a pheasant lady. A poacher, a cowgirl, or a trendy person who wears trousers that sit above their ankles in London fields. Really, I can be anything I want to be. And there are many things that I will be. Perhaps a tea maker named Charlie from Yorkshire. But today I'll just be me in a fun situation. Who I am today. Who's that? I just told you. Now, sing me the Winkle song. That was Itching for Another Hat. Laura, I think we all would really love to hear a rendition of the Winkle song. If you could, please. <laughs> OK, uh, it goes something like... I can do better than sing it for you. I can play you the whole of Linkage Southwark singing the Winkle song. Would you like to hear that? I would love to hear that, Laurie. Yes, please. All the family word. Picking on the big ones out. Picking on the big ones out. Oh, see my face all covered in wrinkles. When I saw my face under wrinkles, all the big ones gone. Oh, dear, I turned down. Four miles round and 26 minutes worth. Picking on the big ones out. They know how to have a good time, don't they, Laura? It was amazing. Everybody was singing the Winkle song and I'd not heard the Winkle song before. <laughs> I mean, my mum is from East London and she always told me about how you pull the Winkle out and the little black bit on the end you stick on your face <laughs> as oh, like, like a beauty it. spot. Oh, yeah, It was really, really lovely to see everybody, even non-verbal participants, oh, mouthing along the words. So it was something that everyone seems to know, the Winkle song. <laughs> Tell us about the inspiration for it. The piece was inspired by everybody in the group. I was facilitating the workshop, as you know, and have heard with hats and, and wigs. And this was inspired by the duration of the workshop and things that were said and all of the wonderful characters that people were coming up with by feeling it for themselves or looking at somebody else and thinking, oh, you look like this. No matter what age we are, no matter our, our abilities, we can still be whatever we choose to be in that moment. And if we want to be 400 things within an hour, we can also do that. There's societal pressure to, to be one version of ourselves. <laughs> but I think we all know that there are an unlimited amount of versions of ourselves. And I think this piece for me really is about that. It's about how we can be more than one thing and we should be more than one thing. We should aim to be more things and, and our life is limitless I think and that's what was highlighted so I, I took everybody's input into the workshop and all of the wonderful characters that they were and also their very direct responses to people so that it is verbatim what was said to me like what do I look like and someone just went small <laughs> <laughs> and also I was told I looked like a depressed Russian with a good strong nose so you know any complex I have about the size of my nose. <laughs> 
<laughs> it is a beautiful nose, but a strong nose, Laura. What do you mean it's hitting the microphone? <laughs> so, yeah, the directness, I thought, uh, brings natural comedy to it. And it's really funny, but the, I feel like it's got like, it feels like it really gets to the heart of what the workshops are like as mm. well. It's very in the moment and spontaneous imagination and a way of storytelling that just by having an object, seeing how it feels, by looking at it, by observing other people wearing it and just being completely free. There's something really beautiful about that. Mm. And yeah, thank you for sharing it with us, Laura. Moving swiftly on, this is Five Down by Matthew Seeger, performed by Laura and myself. Five Down, capital of Brazil. Capital of Brazil? Eight letters starting with B. Rio de Janeiro. Oh, I don't think that's right. No. No, me neither. Oh, Brasilia, I think. Let's have a look. Have you ever been anywhere like that? No, not really. But it does appeal to me, you know. There's only one place I'd love to go if I had the money. Hmm? Hawaii. We should know the capital of Brazil, shouldn't we, really? Brasilia. I thought we decided. Yes, that's right. But it doesn't ring a bell. Have they changed it? I'd go to Hawaii. I know he's dead now, but I'd love to see Jack Lord. He was in Hawaii Five O. If the studios are still there, I'd love to get a picture or something. You're a fan of Jack Lord? Oh, yes. Wow. <laughs> Let's just say some of the guys I was going out with back then, they didn't stand a chance. Oh. You know, when you're a teenager, you still have that dream of meeting that person, as impossible as it might seem. <laughs> I'm going to Google him and see what he looks like. The original Hawaii Five-O, not the follow-up rubbish they've got at the moment. Jack Lord, is this him? Wow. <laughs> oh, God, oh, boy. <laughs> Jack Lord. That was my dream. It can't be Brasilia because it's got a T. Five down, not four down. Oh, yes, that's it. The capital of Brazil. Brasilia. Who knew? That was Five Down by Matthew Seeger and read by Laura Harling and me, Vicky Gaskin. I'm here with Matthew. Hello. Hello. Uh, Tell us, yeah, what inspired Five Down? I walked into the room this week and just before we did the workshops on the characters, they were doing this crossword and it was brilliant. And they're talking about the capital of Brazil and that part of the world. And then I've had a similar conversation with this lady before about Hawaii and we ended up talking about this guy, Jack Lord from Hawaii Five O. I find like the sort of teenage infatuation still being present as something that's really endearing and also sort of quite telling about what it is about how we feel about people and desire and things like that. You really get the sense that she still is a big fan of Jack Lord. A massive, that... massive fan. If I ever find anyone who's as big a fan of me as she is of Jack <laughs> Lord, then I'm doing all right. <laughs> and I'm not familiar with Jack Lord. Is he is he as great as she? I wasn't familiar until I googled him after the session. He's a very attractive man. And do you remember the, the image of these two ladies doing a crossword? Do you remember what hats they were wearing so we can picture them? One of them was wearing this massive white hat that had this huge rim that it covered, so she had to sort of look down quite intensely to see the crossword. And I think the other lady was wearing like a velvet bobby thing. I don't know if that helps. It definitely helps okay. me to visualise the, <laughs> the, the two ladies. It's beautiful. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. 
Our next piece is Where Did You Come From, Where Did You Go by Stuart Turner, performed by Stuart and Laura. They come right up to the elbow. Where did you come from? Right next to you. I gave you those long gloves. No one has gloves like mine. I shall wear them for a while, but I suspect they may get a little warm. Then I will have to take them off again. You don't have to wear them. You could just hold them. I like wearing them. They're very thick. You look like a labourer. In the fields all day. You're a very hard-working farmer. Up north. I'm from the north. Me too. Where did you come from? South Yorkshire. The last village between Doncaster and Rotherham. Me too. It's funny. Us, northerners. People always say we always find each other. Wherever we go, always. We know our area. Where did you go? London. I live in London now, like you. Yes, London. But we know where we really come from. South Yorkshire. South Yorkshire. I don't sound northern much anymore. Coming from South Yorkshire, we know a thing or two about manure in your boots. I didn't until you told me. I thought you meant we filled our boots with so much manure that we'd stand taller on a platform of manure. Oh, that is silly. No! Imagine the smell. No! Manure is good for helping things get stronger. It makes them grow. I'm glad we've met. So much so, I'm excited to meet again. We've connected. Northerners always do find each other, wherever we go. We make each other grow. South Yorkshire. South Yorkshire. That was Where Did You Come From, Where Did You Go? by Stuart Turner and read by Stuart Turner and Laura Harling. Stuart, Scott, that was absolutely amazing. Oh, thanks, love. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, tell me a bit about where the inspiration came from. Uh, Tell me about the lady in this piece. So the inspiration for this piece came from um, somebody who's been present at the last few workshops. And in the workshop just gone, we did did some dancing to Cotton Eye Joe. And then we started to create characters using different bits of costume and props. And this person just turned to me, just literally said, where did you come from? Because I started a conversation out of her eye line. And then we just started having a, a conversation about the, the, the gloves that, that she was wearing and just starting to build a character. And then just a few lines later, with a real wink in her eye, she just turned to me and just said, and where did you go? <laughs> <laughs> and it, it just really got me because obviously they were the words in Cotton Eye yeah. Joe that we'd just been dancing to. And then from that, we just ended up in this conversation because I said, oh, I'm in London now. And I said, I'm from the north. And she mentioned that she was from the north as well. And so that's what this piece is based on. It's a very literal conversation where the participant included lyrics from the song we'd just been dancing to. And that just, it just really tickled me. I just thought it was really, it was really lovely the way she said it with such a wink in her eye. And it makes for a really, yeah, really lovely jumping off point. And so you really were both from South Yorkshire. That's incredible. Yeah, we're both from South Yorkshire. And that was one of the things that we, we spoke about is how we don't sound like that much anymore. We, we had a conversation about, you know, how people keep some vowels. So I still say dance, bath, grass, but I don't necessarily sound northern. And tell us about the manure in the boots. Oh, so the manure in the boots was something that came up in a previous workshop. And then during this workshop, that conversation came up again where I explained what I thought her original meaning was, which was <laughs> putting so much manure in your shoes that you are naturally taller. Which is, I, as she quite rightly <laughs> says, very silly. Yeah, yeah we all learn. We were all thinking along the same lines. And then it was quite funny when we all eventually learned that what she meant by that was, you know, <laughs> manure is used in fields and things to, uh, as a booster to help things grow. And that is what makes you taller. Oh, that's so lovely. It's so lovely, isn't it? It's a much better definition. Yeah, and it's something that, that is a saying that I think I would 
try and keep using throughout my life because I think it's a really good saying. And on that note, we'll wrap things up. Thanks very much, Stuart. Thanks, Vicky. That's almost it for today. But before we go, we've got a short piece written by all of the participants at the Link Age Southwark group and the adventures they went on together in their hats. It's called Do You Want Tea? and is read by Laura Harling. Do you want tea? No. I think I'd rather champagne or a Gian tea. Please. It's barn dance night at the pub with a wine bar, piccolo bar, with headliners Wild Man Hiccup and the Country and Western Queen, supported by Tricoleur and Shiraz, the backing dancer. We'll dance, and the artful Dodger will pick a pocket or two. The Hatter's Watch, for one. No idea when the party ends. Line dancing. We're all line dancing. Eating poached pheasant while the refuse collector has a solo dance. We're carefree. Happy. Tired and drunk. Tipsy. A good time is had by all. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Tune in again next week. Our next episode will go live on Tuesday. If you want to know more about The Dot Collective, have a look in the show notes or go to thedotcollective.com. And if you're enjoying the podcast so far, please share and review us. It helps other people find us and hear all of these wonderful stories. This series is supported by the City Bridge Trust. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. (laughs) 